0: Welcome to the Baptist Broadcast, where we retrieve confessional theology from a particular Baptist perspective. Talking statistics today, statistics specifically concerning pastors, pastoring up the next generation of pastors, or we could say pastors pastoring the next generation of pastors, training them up preparing them for ministry, discerning their qualifications, discerning their gifts, and then impressing upon them the duty that they have, actually, to uh, to operate according to those gifts that the Lord has given them. The Lord didn't give those gifts in vain. And so if it's discerned in a man that he has these gifts for ministry, it should be encouraged that he develop those gifts. And on this, on the part of the pastoral team, on the part of the church, uh, that that man or those men should have every opportunity to utilize those gifts within that particular church or at least within another church that perhaps needs men. Um, welcome to The Baptist Broadcast. You can get us anywhere. You get your podcasts, Spotify, iTunes. You guys know all the different platforms. If you're watching here on YouTube, please don't forget to click the subscribe button down below and the bell for continued notifications. Um, what I want to do first... Is I want to impress upon us, right? Because this is an issue that I'm thinking through as well. I'm not an expert in this by any means. This is uh, something that I am convicted is is very important, and and part of the reason I think I'm so convicted about this is because it was a preventable problem, <laughs> and and I think that. Uh, I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done, but the good news is is I think there's a lot of work that can be done. And so I don't think the, the ball is too far out of our court. I think that uh, you know, good, God-fearing New Testament churches can uh, turn the boat around, so to speak, as they uh, train up the next generation. It is incredibly important that we think intergenerationally when we think about ministry. We don't do that enough. I remember uh, the time that I went with a friend to the Northeast and we went to places like Salem and Boston and we went to uh, Plymouth, uh, the town, and then the representation of Plymouth uh, Plantation. Both of those are fantastic destinations. I would recommend them to anyone interested not only in American history but in historical theology uh to go and 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 learn something about the lives of uh the plymouth pilgrims um and the massachusetts bay colony um so when we were there there's a statue of of william bradford the governor of plymouth colony for a number of years uh and on that statue at the base of the statue the pedestal there's a quote from Bradford's uh, journal, uh, or his account, The History of Plymouth Plantation, that he wrote, and he wrote it in third person. Um, and in that quote at the pedestal of, the, of his statue uh, is a, a quote that emphasizes the need to think of themselves as the, as a, 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 a generation supporting the future generation. The words that they used, the words that Bradford used is, If they, meaning the Plymouth uh, Plantation, the occupants of the Plymouth Plantation, if they be but stepping stones to those who would come after them. Uh, And this idea of thinking intergenerationally just came naturally to many of the people in what I would call the old world, pre-enlightenment uh, pre industrial revolution, pre sexual revolution, uh, th- this, this kind of thinking came naturally to those living on that side of, uh, uh, of the, the great black wall of modernity. Um, but it doesn't come so naturally to us. We don't typically think in terms of, uh, uh, of future generations. We typically think in terms of how am I going to set myself up for retirement? You know, that's one way of thinking of, about things. Uh, we think uh, maybe how am I going to provide for my immediate family in the here and now? And, and usually that 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 provision is couched in terms of you know putting food on the table, uh, a roof overheads. And if we've done that, then we've done our due diligence. It's just kind of getting by. It's it's no it's no more than that. It's just kind of getting by by. I think so that we can achieve you know this future retirement or or or, or whatever. Um, those, are, those are popular ways of thinking, um, I, and I think that way of thinking has, has seeped into, uh, into churches as well. I mean, maybe even if it's a, a line of thought as pious as, how do I finish my ministry well? Well, the thought and the, and the concern and the focus is still on, how do I finish well? It's not necessarily on, who's going to occupy this pulpit after I'm gone? Uh, and I think we need to have both of those things in view. We need to have you know, how do we, this present generation, how do we finish well? But part of answering that question is how do we how do we train up the next generation to come up after us? Because the reality is if we if we leave pulpits vacated, and that's how my generation or generations before mine goes out, uh, then we've not finished well. Um, and I do think ordinarily, it's, it's, it is the case that in God's providence, of course, he may not provide the next generation. I get that. But I don't think that's what's happening now. I think there is a next generation. Uh, I've seen it. Uh, you go to uh, across the country to different conferences, and you you visit churches, and you see young men uh, desiring to to learn the things of God and to be studious. You see seminaries uh, filling up. I mean, I'm in Kansas City, Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary is is just north of me uh, across the Missouri River in the north side of the metro, uh, and and it's growing. There is a growing contingent of young people. Uh, looking to get into ministry. Uh, that growing contingent of young people isn't necessarily welcomed into the ministry when they graduate and when they are, 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 are uh, in a place uh, to you know, uh, answer a calling at a local church and, and so on. And, uh, and so what ends up happening is you have uh, perhaps a young man, this is just a microcosmic example of what's going on at a larger scale, I think, and some of this is anecdotal, we'll bring the stats up here in a moment, but what you have is, you know, a young man uh, who graduates seminary, uh, and um, you know, uh, finds a, a church that has advertised their need for a pastor. This happens in the Southern Baptist Convention all the time, and at the seminary, of course, they have job boards. And then that young man uh, goes to that church in view of a calling, uh, preaches for them, goes through Q and A's, uh, ex- accepts an employment, some kind of an employment package begins preaching uh, doctrinal sermons. We're not even going to say controversial doctrinal sermons, just doctrinal sermons. Thorough, you know, expositional preaching. And then they don't have the support from the congregation. Uh, this, the, the, the congregation is um, just kind of cold to doctrine, uh, perhaps not supportive of uh, maybe things that that young man wants to do in that church. Uh, I am so blessed to have taken a calling at a local church that has been very supportive, but I think that's the exception to the rule. Um, I, I, the more I look around, I think, I think that my church uh, and, and the way I, I was welcomed into my church and, uh, and the way things have gone over the last five years is an exception. That's not to say that everything's perfect, by any means. That's not to say that there, there haven't been, you know, snags and times of trial and things like that. Um, but I, I know several men who have been run out of churches. You know, some have been run out of churches by, you know, half the congregation. Some have been run out of churches by a controlling deacon, uh, you know, contingent. Um, and so it, it's, it's out there, and this happens a lot. Um, and so um, that's kind of a long way of saying we've got a problem. Uh, and when I say we've got a problem, I mean churches in the United States specifically have a problem. I don't think this is a worldwide uh, phenomenon. Um, I, I, I think that probably in other places in the world, in the third world specifically, there's more of an emphasis on intergenerational ministry uh, and training. Um, here in the United States, not so much. And so I think this is, is while not a totally unique American problem— is definitely a problem that affects Americans in a way that perhaps doesn't affect, um, you know, the third world um, or 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 churches that are in countries that uh, are actively trying to suppress the Christian religion, uh, say China or something like that. Um, and so th- we've got a problem. We we are we are really bad. We've been really bad at training up the next generation of. Church leaders of training of the next generation of pastors of elders, um, of training of the next generation of deacons. You know, uh, churchmanship in general is down. You know, the commitment level to a local church just on the part of a lay person is is, is down. It's difficult to find uh, those who are really willing to pour their blood, sweat, and tears into their local church. That's becoming more and more rare. Uh, but but as that kind of general observation. Uh, becomes apparent. So too is the more specific observation of a lack of uh, pastoral candidacy and a lack, quite frankly, of of encouragement for pastoral candidacy. And I think that's where the problem really is. I mean, at the risk of oversimplifying, uh, you know, obviously a problem like this probably begins in the home, right? Um, a, a problem like this probably begins in the home and uh, and works its way out from there. But I do think there is a, a problem in churches that I've observed anecdotally and that I think the statistics reflect that there just is not enough interest in training up the next generation of leadership. So let's look at some st- st- statistics. Um, before we do that, though, I want to impress upon us the doctrinal need, the biblical necessity and duty of training up young men for ministry. Let's look at this excerpt from the Northern Association of Baptists uh, in England in the 17th century. This comes to us from 1699, and this gives you an idea of how ministers of the gospel thought about the It's the actual word that they use, the duty of raising up the next generation. I don't know if we think about it that way anymore, but here it is. If a gift or gifts be in the church, and by that they mean gifted brethren, those who are, who are fitted and gifted for the ministry, they say, if a gift or gifts be in the church, it is the duty of a church to lay such persons under obligation, to bring them forth that the church may enjoy the benefit thereof, and the end of Christ answered in some measure. What a beautiful statement. Not only are they to be encouraged to utilize their gifts, but there needs to be some kind of even ins- insinuated it there in that in that statement is some kind of even even some pressure like god didn't give you this gift in vain you need to be using this gift uh if you are fitted for the ministry you need to be using this for 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 the benefit of christ's people and for the glory of christ himself um and and we, you, you just don't hear that kind of language uh today as much um uh if you do have an encouragement toward ministry today Uh, It it, it might be superficial. It's kind of like, oh, just take the job kind of superficiality. Uh, And if it doesn't work out there, just kind of use that as a stepping stone to take the next job. That's not the kind of leadership training I'm talking about. I'm talking about raising up actual God-qualified men, preferably in the midst of the same congregation that need pastors. Okay, And so this is a a, a more organic uh, vision for pastoral ministry, which I think is is pretty obvious in Scripture, and in fact, in Scripture we do get, uh, you know, duties that are 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 laid upon us. I, I think of the main place where a duty is necessarily implied uh, on the part of pastors, existing pastors, and existing churches, to to invest in young men, uh, or in men. In general, who desire the ministry, and that is, you know, First Timothy chapter three. And In First Timothy chapter three, uh, verse one, there is the um, uh, famous, uh, obviously, introduction to the um, to the qualifications. And uh, it begins with verse one, and it says, "This is a faithful saying." Paul says it's a faithful saying because this is something that Christians were already talking about and saying amongst one another. They knew this as sort of a practical maxim, and so this was something that was already in vogue, so to speak, uh, within early first century Christianity, and Paul's just picking up on that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and saying, if a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. Now, I think what that does is it implies a twofold duty. A duty on the part of churches and ministers of the gospel, and a duty on the part of uh, would-be you know, pastoral candidates or or would be pastors. And the duty incumbent upon you know local churches, the congregation, and and existing pastors of those congregations is that those persons must be actively looking for, praying for, and encouraging that good work. If that is a good work, right, and and Paul by the Holy Spirit says that it is, if if ministry is a good work, and it's given to Christ's church for the good of Christ's church, then that must be something that is sought for. Not something that is treated as kind of like an extra or a bonus or an option, but something I think that is actively sought for amongst the pastoral leadership and amongst the congregation in general. Uh, I think Scripture actually binds us to, to look for and, and raise up the next generation of, of pastors. Um, the other duty is incumbent upon those men who would, who would hold the pastor, who would hold the office of, of pastor or elder. And we, of course, see that duty filled out uh, throughout uh, the first you know, seven verses of 1 Timothy 3, because there you have the qualifications. What is it going to be expected of this person must be able to teach, must, uh, must organize and, and run his household well? If he doesn't run his household well, then how does he, how does he manage the church of God, uh, among other things? Gluttony, you know, covetousness, hospitality is is uh, exhorted, and so on. You get a number, uh, uh, basically three categories. I think uh, I've observed in those first seven verses, three categories of qualifications um, there, and so you see the duty incumbent upon the man who would occupy the pulpit, um, and and who would candidate at a church in order to occupy. the the pulpit, and so this is not just a, a, a plan B. This is not just an option. It's not just a convenience that we have as as ministers of the gospel. Like, oh, we just happen to have the opportunity to, uh, you know, um, utilize the gifts of this young man. No, this is something that needs to be sought for. Uh, I think it's something that needs to be actively encouraged. Uh, so, there's, I think, there's a lot of people who. Who may be under the impression that like ministry is inaccessible to them, and they and the sad part about that is like they might be qualified and they may desire the office, but they have some impression that this is this is not something they can they can do, Uh, and so they need to be encouraged, right? Uh, with, With the grace of God, realizing that hey, it's this isn't you know an office that relies on your talents. This isn't an office that relies on how good you can be or how good you can perform in public speaking or something like that. This isn't even an office that relies on how pious you can act before other men. If By piety, we mean, you know, kind of like false humility and things like that. This is an office that God himself fills. And it's an office that requires the grace of God. It is occupied by fallible men. Like there's not this kind of Gnostic idea of like a higher class or a higher species of human beings that occupy this this office. Pastors are normal people, Um, and so uh, it's it's not as uh, inaccessible as it may seem. And so young men need to be encouraged if if it's the case that you know giftings have been you know discerned amongst them. Uh, or in them, and that they've expressed interest perhaps in ministry. They need to be encouraged and built up to that end. Um, one of the things going on, uh, I think, all over the place is uh, really the issue of of maybe there is a desire to raise up the next generation on the part of existing pastoral staff, but there, it's just kind of like this, yeah, there's the desire, but it's kind of put on the back burner because we don't really know how to do that and we don't really have the time to learn how to do that uh, well. And so uh, we're just not going to focus on that right now. I think that's going on a lot. I don't think there's a lot of dubious intentions behind something like that. You know, it's just kind of like we don't know how to do it and uh, we're busy. And so it's just on a very practical level. It's just pushed to the back burner. I think that uh, there needs to be a realization that this is like like a top priority matter. You know, and uh, and I think there are right ways to um, to encourage young men and raise young men up for. And I keep saying young men, men, it's men in general to raise men up to encourage men uh, for the ministry. Um, There are all sorts of reasons. I have some reasons jotted down here. Why are why are churches not um, excelling at this like they should be? Um, In in fact, we're going to see that they're decelerating. They're not excelling at all or accelerating at all and some reasons you know that I'm just kind of that I just kind of thought about tossed around in my own mind like why is this happening and i I came up with basically five reasons um, we just don't know. I already mentioned that like we just you know there's just a general kind of ignorance, um a, a lack of historical continuity like how did our predecessors do this and let's take some tips and tricks from them and uh, take their advice and implement it uh, there's a lack of that going on. so there's just some. Some ignorance. I think there's a great deal to learn from our 17th century particular Baptist predecessors. Uh, but I just I, I don't think that that has been as highlighted as it probably should be. I think there's good work being done uh, you know amongst Jim and Sam Renahan. Jim uh, Renahan's book Edification and Beauty is great on uh, you know Baptist church polity, um, uh, eldership and things of that nature. Uh, and, and so I, I think there's things coming out. You know, Sam Rinahan working on his project with William Kiffin. Um, and, and you get some insight into how church life was, was going back then. Um, of course, there's the, uh, the volume uh, that I, of course, cannot see now. It's, it's, a, it's a reader. Let me grab it. Faith and Life. Faith and Life for Baptists. This is fantastic. I'm not saying there's anything specifically about eldership in here, but this is a an example um, of, you know, what we need for eldership and and particularly in the area of training up future elders. I think that would be very helpful uh, Is is, like, some work that is aimed specifically at that issue. How did the 17th century, you know, particular Baptist churches in London, for example— uh, work to train up men for the ministry. Um, there, there has to be a good deal of data on that. Um, and I think it would be good to, to popularize some of that for the sake of disseminating that information to, uh, to churches. Um, so we just don't know. There's a great deal of ignorance, uh, and there's no shame in admitting that. Uh, in fact, admitting that is the first step to trying to figure out a solution. So, uh, we just don't know. Um, Maybe it's the case that in some circles, and I'm not saying this is the case everywhere, but in some circles perhaps it's the case that there's a th- there's a feeling of being threatened. Um, uh, men who want to hold on to the office uh, and kind of exclusivize it to themselves, maybe they feel threatened by uh, the potential of having another elder. Um and because that would provide a level of accountability that perhaps they're not comfortable with. I'm not saying this is happening anywhere specifically, but it, it could be playing into it. Um, uh, if it's not playing into it today, I'm sure it was playing into it at some point in time. Money worries. I think just on a practical level, you know, there's money worries. How are we going to pay these people if we raise them up? You know, uh, if you know, and and I don't think that's a good reason at all. You know, there's there's always. Uh, the option for uh, you know I don't know maybe some of you would disagree with me about this but Paul made tents he worked with his hands to support himself presumably and um, uh, I don't think it would be wrong if an elder was willing to do that Uh, a potential elder was willing to do that for that person to be bivocational or or to uh, uh, to work with his hands to work another job Uh, while he serves as uh, a second elder. Um, Maybe he just doesn't carry as much duty. Maybe he just doesn't carry as many of the duties. He doesn't preach as often. Uh, Maybe he helps with some counseling and things like that. Um, uh, So I I don't think money worries is a good enough obstacle to prevent. Uh, There's always the chance also opportunities of churches working together. You know, if one church has a man who's gifted and fitted for the ministry, is desiring the ministry... Um, uh, qualified for the ministry, uh, and then perhaps uh, that church is unable to accommodate that gift, that gifting. Maybe another church is, and so there's there's ways to uh, there's ways to circumvent that those kinds of practical issues. I think. Um, the fourth reason is authoritarianism. I, I I know just you know, Baptist churches, especially like independent fundamental Baptist churches, that have kind of the, the pulpiteer, you know, that kind of runs the show and he's the personality that the church is kind of built around, you know, doesn't necessarily want another man being raised up. Um, and I think that's gone on a lot. Um, and that's why we're, we're, we're going to see, um, a lapse. I think there's going to be a, a kind of, a a domino effect or a ripple effect from that, from that bubble that was created during those years. um, uh, you know, men just holding on to the pulpits until they're dead, or men just holding on to the pulpits until they just decide to leave one day, and then the church is without a pastor. And so, you know, that happens. So that's a fourth possible reason. Um, a fifth reason, and and this comes from uh, this this reason I thought of as I was looking at some of these these polls, these statistics. Pastors don't like being pastors, like the existing pastors. Don't like being pastors, so they won't recommend the office, and obviously won't work to fill the office after they're gone. So um, there's like a there seems to be statistically a general lack of zeal for the pastoral ministry. There's all sorts of explanations for that. Probably um, lack of encouragement. Um, uh, you know, uh, the the expectations are way too high. Burnout. Uh, all sorts of things that can explain something like that. Uh, but um, all that to say is there are, there are reasons we're not doing so good, but there are at, at, at this kind of training up the next generation, but there are better reasons for why we should be doing better. And, and that is that this is definitely a scriptural principle. Um, the, the, Results of disobeying that scriptural principle or of ignoring it, it are going to be devastating. Let's let's look at some um, some statistics. The first statistic is here: pastors more worried about the future of pastoring. Now, for those of you listening, you can't see this graphic. If you, uh, I, I would encourage you to actually come back to the video on YouTube if you can, and that way you can see these. Um, you see that this chart is. Um, Provided by uh, Christianity Today, but it's it's pulled from uh, Barna Group, and it's a 2022 uh, poll compared to a 2015 poll, and uh, what, what this is this is this is trying to measure the concern that pastors have at present for the future of pastoring. So it's—and and this and specifically, it's the percentage who say it's becoming harder to find mature young Christians who are pursuing pastoral ministry. And pastors are saying—back in 2015, 24% of pastors were in strong agreement that there was a problem and that they were worried about the future of pastoring. You move up seven years to 2022— And that statistic has jumped 10 percentage points. So 34% of pastors now are more worried about the future of pastoring. In fact, there's a better graphic of this um, uh, drought, uh, uh, the statistic of the drought of mature men. And it's found here. It is becoming harder to the The statistic pulled directly from the Barna Group says, it is becoming harder to find mature young Christians who want to become pastors, and 24% of pastors agreed with that statement in 2015. In 2022, it that statistic jumped uh, 10 percentage points to 34%. As of 2022, 34% of pastors asked, were concerned, uh, were in agreement that it is becoming harder to find mature young Christians who want to become pastors. Um, and so it seems like the impression amongst the pastors, existing pastors is that young people don't want to be pastors. okay? So you have that you have that kind of lurking statistic and and, and you know statistics are kind of like spitting on your finger and trying to discern the direction of the wind. It, it gives you kind of a general direction of, of the way things are going. It's not 100% absolutely certain, accurate kind of thing. It's giving you a general, uh, it's giving you a general wind current, like what's what's where are things moving? And I think the general impression that we get is I think pastors are under the impression um, that it's getting harder and harder and harder to find men who desire and who are mature enough to fill the, the office of pastor. Okay, so there's that perception. That's on the side of existing ministers, right? And these are these are Protestant statistics. And I, as a Baptist, I find that very concerning because uh, the Baptists are often considered the largest Protestant um, uh, denomination in the United States. And so I think we're probably well represented uh, in these statistics. And so, uh, yeah, lots of pastoral worry, lots of pastoral concern that there's not a younger generation. And so... Uh, I would say that, that this kind of constitutes a, a skepticism of the, of the younger generation. And I've heard it preached. I've heard it preached that there is no younger generation, and, and, and it's all the younger generation's fault that we're not going to be able to train up young men. So I don't know. Um, I, I do think there's some probably good faith, you know, worry I do think it's generally more difficult. Saying this as a pastor, it's more difficult to find men who are mature enough uh, to to occupy the office of elder. I, I agree with that. That's it's generally the case. Um, but I've I've heard that taken to an extreme. Like it's it's the younger generation's fault that we're not raising up the next generation. And uh, I don't think it can be taken to that that far of an extreme. Here's another statistic. Again, Barna Group. Um, Fewer churches focus on leadership training. Okay, so that's the statement. Fewer churches focus on uh, leadership training. And specifically, this is the percentage of pastors who say their congregation puts a significant priority on developing the next generation. In 2015, only 22% of pastors strongly agreed that their congregation puts a significant priority on developing the next generation. Only 22% strongly agreed, 47% agreed somewhat. But in terms of those who had a clear answer, yes, we do this at our church, the congregation supportive of it, only 22%. That's in 2015. It gets even more devastating because in 2022, 14%, only 14% of pastors think that their congregation puts a significant priority on developing the next generation of gospel ministers. That is a devastating statistic, um, and and I think it's a statistic that holds up to my own experience, um, just in terms of what I've heard preached, in terms of what I've uh, observed, that there just is—there's not a whole lot of thought that goes into this. Again, I, I don't I don't want to come off as if I'm saying, like, there's always dubious intentions behind a church that doesn't look for the next generation of leadership. I'm not saying that at all. I just think it's gotten covered over in a lot of cases, and I think you know uh, we as Christians who are who are members of churches need to be encouraging our own churches to this end. We don't need to say, "Okay, forget this church. I'm going to go find a church that's 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 encouraging leadership development." No, not at all. We need to we need to encourage congregations to you know the congregations that we're a part of to to actually desire to train up young men and to, to, to even prioritize that. And um, I, I think this stat is just a reflection of, of, of how we don't treat texts like 1 Timothy 3 as uh, imperatives incumbent upon existing pastors. Uh, we, we, we tend to see 1 Timothy 3 as only you know, unidirectional. It's only flowing out toward those who desire the ministry um, there, there's no real duty there for, uh, for present pastors, and there is duty. It's, it's, it's a necessarily implied duty. Okay, here is another statistic. This one is perhaps even more devastating. Here's the statement: As senior pastor, how highly do you prioritize developing a leadership pipeline within your congregation? As senior pastor, how highly do you prioritize developing a leadership pipeline? Within your congregation, thirty-eight percent out of all who were asked, thirty-eight percent say I make it a top personal priority. Only thirty-eight percent, fourteen percent say I delegate leadership development to other staff or team members. Okay, which I think we would, I would take issue with that. I think that this is a this is a a, a job for pastors. Forty um, percent. Say, I have thought about the need, but have too many other ministry concerns. So this is like what we're talking about. Like, uh, you know, there's um, uh, this kind of we don't know and we don't have time to figure it out. Uh, So I've thought about the need, but have too many other ministry concerns. That's 40%. And 7% say it's not a high priority for me. They're just just completely closed off to it. Uh, And it's fantastic that that 7% even exists. Um, I, I just think that that is wild. It, it's and then and then forty percent are just kind of agnostic about the idea of training leadership up. They've thought about it, but they're really not giving much attention to it. This is a problem. All right, it's not a problem that is unfixable. All right, and uh, I think there's a great deal going on now. I am encouraged by the things that I'm seeing in um uh, in my own church. I'm encouraged by the things that I'm seeing uh, in various seminaries. International Reformed Baptist Seminary, uh, the zeal of the young men who are learning there, the zeal of the faculty. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I have Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. That, that, that school has grown since I've been there. There's an emphasis on missions. There's an emphasis on pastoral uh, equipping and, and things like that. So I think we live at an exciting time. But we also live uh, in a time where um, I-, I think we're we're transitioning from an era that doesn't really that didn't really care all that much about raising up a future generation. I'm saying collectively. I'm not singling out anybody, um, but just it was in the culture. It just wasn't a concern. And we're we're going to have to transition out of that into a culture that takes training up future generations uh, seriously. And so, um, you know, be encouraging at your own church. I'll try to be encouraging at mine. Uh, this is something that, that we need to think about. It's something we need to do more than think about. It's something we need to, to pray for. It's something we need to do more than pray for. It's something we need to, we need to present and actually produce, I think, actionable plans for this. I mean, we've got one at our church, uh, that kind of a rough actionable plan for, um, a way to facilitate uh, the, the the training of a man who desires uh, leadership. I, I know there's some other great ones out there. I'll try to link to some of those in the show notes. But um, there, there's work to do in this area, and uh, there's work to do in a lot of areas. But this is a this is a really important one because it concerns the future generations that will be uh, occupying the pews and the pulpits of our churches. If this, if this was helpful for you, I, I would encourage you to share it. If it was helpful to you, maybe it'll be helpful to someone else as well. Um, And, uh, of course, don't forget to subscribe to the channel. Um, Thank you for joining, and uh, we'll see you next time.